I invite you to turn with me in the scriptures to the first of two readings. Nick will pick up the second reading shortly. But the first reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. Deuteronomy, chapter 27. We're just going to look at the first 12, 13 verses. I hope there aren't any long words here, Pastor. I haven't looked over this yet, so I'm hoping you've done me justice here. The altar on Mount Ebal, Deuteronomy chapter 27. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, Keep all these commands that I give you today. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk, with honey. Just as the Lord promised the God of your ancestors, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with stones, from the field and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all of Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I have given you today. On the same day Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Father, we thank you that we can have your word in front of us open. Now we pray that your servant will open the word further to us. Give him strength, give him freedom to speak as he comes to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick up uh, Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, and this will end uh, the first half of our series. Uh, End of part 1, we might call it. So pick up Joshua 8, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. You remember they've, they've tried it once and they've failed because of the sin of Achan made them liable to destruction. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its kings, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. 
I and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we've lured them away from the city, for they will say, they're running away from us, as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you've taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. And that night, Joshua went into the valley. It does get a bit confusing if you're trying to picture this in your mind, so don't worry too much about that. It's not, it's not that important. <clears throat> but when the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he didn't know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open, and they went in pursuit of Israel. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin. In your hand, for in your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. And as soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who'd been fleeing towards the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke was going up from the city, they turned round and attacked the men of Ai. And those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Now it gets interesting. And when Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burnt Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins. Ai means ruin, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate and they raised a large pile of rocks over it which remains to this day. And then 
Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now you'll see why we read Deuteronomy. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. And all the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we ask for your instruction from your word. We ask that the past ministry of your spirit in recording it and preserving it will be accompanied by the present ministry of your Holy Spirit in making it uh, alive and penetrating to our minds and hearts. That we might be different going out than we were coming in. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's another jolly little passage from Joshua uh, to encourage you in your, in your Christian walk. Okay, when you became a Christian, you entered a new land. Did you notice? You entered the kingdom of God, or sometimes it's called the kingdom of heaven, or sometimes it's called the kingdom of light, or on one occasion, even the kingdom of the Son um, that God loves. So when you became a Christian, you entered the kingdom based on a sovereign rescuing act of God, and you received this land as a gift. Yeah, when you became a Christian, you came into the kingdom of God through God's sovereign work, given it as a gift. You didn't earn it. For Israel, then, it was the land of Canaan, and they came via the Passover, via the sacrifice of of a lamb to spare them the judgment that came upon Israel. And then they came through the Red Sea, and then they came through the Jordan. And for us, it's the kingdom of God. And you came through the blood of Christ. You you trusted that Christ died for you. You looked upon him as a lamb, upon the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And you said, "That that is for me. But at the same time you entered the kingdom, you entered into a covenant. So you put it like this, when you accepted the keys... To the kingdom, you accepted the tenancy agreement at the same time. Did you realize? And at its simplest, the Lord says this. This is the Lord's tenancy agreement. Come into this place of blessing and fellowship. But when you come in, come in and be like me. And make me Lord. And he says, I'll drive that process of making you more like me. But you must keep in step. And he says, come in and make it bigger. Tell other people how to join in. In other words, when you come into God's kingdom, you accepted the tenancy agreement, you accepted the covenant, and God sends you to you, I want you to enter my kingdom, which you already have done, and now you're in, I want you to enlarge it, 
and I want you to enjoy it by emulating me. And really, we're going to look at the lessons, because these are the lessons that Joshua learned, having entered the kingdom, how to enlarge it, um, how to en- enjoy it. The lessons we've been uh, learning already, but reinforced today. If you've got the sermon notes um, with the word search on it, then the, uh, the words in red are on the word search, um, if that helps you concentrate. But I just want to let you know there are two extra words which don't come up on the screen. Okay, just to keep you awake. So, we've seen these principles about entering and enlarging and uh, enjoying the kingdom of God all the way through the book. And of course, anyone can enter. That's, that's one of the principles at the start, isn't it? Anyone can enter the kingdom regardless of race, gender, or, or, or reputation. You don't have to be from a certain people group. You don't have to be uh, male or female. You don't have to even be sinless. Think Rahab. She had no qualifications to enter. She was the wrong people. Uh, by the standards of the time, she was the, the wrong gender and she had the wrong reputation. But equally, anyone can exit, even though they seem to have the, uh, the right natural privileges. They can find themselves on the outside of the kingdom of God because they've decided to compromise and they've decided not to stay. Um, think about Achan. So what are these keys then to enlarging and enjoying the kingdom of God? Well, I think from this chapter and from the book as a whole so far, there is only one, and it is this, and it is stick to the script. Stick to the script. Just do precisely what God has asked you to do. So let's have a look. Enlarging the kingdom. Well, at this point, Israel have failed to enlarge their external territory because of an inward failure. So there was an outward failure, which is the, the, the warfare failure, because of an inner failure. They're told to, uh, to totally uh, destroy all the devoted things, which was everything in Jericho, um, and they haven't done it. It's not been totally destroyed because one person, because Achan kept some and, and put it at the bottom of his tent. And really interesting, isn't it? Now that the sin of Achan is, is dealt with, it's interesting, isn't it, to just see the Lord's words. If you've got your Bibles open, have a look back at um, the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1. You'd think at this point, wouldn't you, that, that the people of Israel would be quite nervous uh, about attacking AI again. Uh, they did what they thought was wise. They sent uh, 3,000 guys up there, and they were routed. But they were routed because Israel had sinned uh, in the previous battle. But now they've dealt with that. What does the Lord say? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He says, go up and attack, and he says, I've given uh, the king and the city into your hands. It, it, immediately that sin is dealt with, God reassures. Yeah. And then the Lord gives, gives uh, fresh instruction. Um, you must devote the city to the Lord. Again, that's the, the, um, like they did at Jericho, or actually the city and the king. And the Lord says to them, he says, go and set an ambush behind the city. So as soon as sin is confessed, God, God reassures them. 
that he's still on their side, he's still working for them, and he gives some new instructions. And it's interesting, because I think these, in, these new instructions almost take into account the failure, don't they? If they got it right first time round, then maybe Israel could have marched up with the whole army and just taken it. But I think these are, um, these are instructions which take into account that Israel have already been once and failed. In other words, they've been once and failed, so why not use that now to your advantage? Uh, Send 5,000 guys out the front uh, where they can be seen, and and AI and the king will come out and attack them again. Um, But put 30,000 round the back or round the side, um, and then they can come uh, and wipe them down, get into the city when the others are pulled out. I think that's in those both interesting characteristics of the Lord, aren't they? When sin is dealt with, he's so quick uh, to forgive and to move us on uh, to the next thing. And this is an amazing that one we've failed once, and particularly we're thinking now about a failure to go with the gospel, the failure to carry through our warfare, how quick the Lord is to say, that's okay. It's forgiven. Now move on, but go do it again. And it's interesting that the Lord is, is generous. This time, uh, they can take the, the plunder from the city, but not the king and the people or, or the city itself. It's amazing, isn't it? That if Achan had just waited, if Achan had waited a matter of days, he could have taken however much plunder he wanted. But he didn't learn the prior lesson that the Israelites can't, uh, can't compromise with the culture around them. So we have a God who's quick to forgive. We talked about quickness and slowness earlier on, didn't we? A God who is slow to anger, uh, abounding in love. Um, I wonder whether in your own witnessing, in your own battle uh, for the gospel, that you've come back and you think, I've just failed. I've just failed. Well, I guess like Israel, you have to test your heart and you ask the the Lord, is is there sin in me that is compromising this? But if you've done that and and there isn't, then the Lord says, it's done. Well, even if there is sin and it's confessed, it's done. And you move on and press on out again. So we don't need to go over this battle plan in in detail, except we've said already Joshua sends out 30,000 troops around the size as an an ambush, and he takes 5,000. Except to realize that Israel followed these instructions to the letter. They do precisely what God asks them to do. So the antidote to fear and, and discouragement uh, in our witnessing, in our, in our telling of the gospel, is, is simply to stick to the script that, that God has given us. So they've had this big script all along. They've had these instructions. They've had these instructions from Moses, and they're following them through. And all they need to do is to stick to the script and keep following the instructions. So when it comes to enlarging the kingdom of God, when it comes to, you, to your responsibility to be a, a teller of the gospel, a communicator of the good news uh, about Jesus, you, you may feel 
pathologically fearful. You may feel perennially discouraged. But the prescription is the same. God says, don't be fearful. Don't be discouraged. Just do precisely what I've asked you to do. Just stick to the biblical prescription. And here it is, 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you've got. So be prepared. Give a little forethought. What would I say if somebody asked me, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you trust in Christ? Why are you a Christian? Give it a little bit of thought. If you've never done that before, maybe this week is a good week to start. Go away and have a little bit of think and write it down. Pray for opportunities. And when you get them, present the gospel plainly. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about his ministry, the Apostle Paul. And he says, we, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So he just set forth the truth plainly. It's his ministry. He says we don't distort it, don't try to do anything funny with it, not trying to be clever with it, uh, not trying to uh, apologize for it. We're just trying to tell it really straightforwardly uh, when we get the opportunity. And God's word, the gospel, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, is a weapon against which there is no defense. Remember we were told uh, right back at the beginning that we have powerful weapons which, which cannot be resisted. When the word of God is goes out, it always accomplishes what God in, in, intends it to do. There's no defense against the Holy Spirit. So we don't, need to, we don't need to fear failure. When you go out and tell the gospel, the only failure is to not tell the gospel. When you tell it, you don't need to fear what it will do, whether, whether somebody will fall on their knees, whether somebody will go, mm, maybe, or whether somebody violently objects to it. None of those are your responsibility. The word does what God intends it to do. And so Paul goes on in the same passage to say, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. And yet, when God chooses to, he says, let light shine out of, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of Christ. So when he chooses, God causes the gospel message by his Holy Spirit to give light to people. And you can't do it, only he can do that. So as you go out to approach your city, whether that's Staines, whether that's um, down the sports centre, whether it's, it's down at college, um, I think we can pick up the word of the, the Lord said to Paul when he was in, in Corinth. He said, I'm with you. He said, nobody's going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So the, the Lord said, said to Paul, stay. He didn't say stay because you're going to convert the whole place. He said, stay because I have people in this city. In other words, there are people here. It's not going to be all of them. It's not even going to be the majority of them. But there are people here who I still want to reach um, with the gospel. I think the promise that nobody was going to attack and harm him was a specific one to Paul at that time because he just had been attacked. So you don't, as you go out, you don't need to fear failure. If you failed before, you're forgiven. God says, just go do it again. Sorry. 
That's not clever or exciting, is it? But there it is. But you might be thinking it's not so much fear of failure that keeps me quiet, uh, it's fear of causing offence. We're not like Israel in that we don't go out with the offer of the gospel in one hand and a sword in the other, um, threat of destruction. Don't go out with tract and sword. And yet we do, we are, at one level. The gospel always comes with a threat of destruction. Always. There's no way around that. And people sense it. Paul says in a different place that we are uh, the aroma of Christ. And to those who are perishing, it's a stench of death. Uh, And to those who are being saved, it's the fragrance of life. And I think people have a spiritual sniff. And as you come with the gospel, I think they sense on... um, what spiritually this means for them, and they react in one of two ways. They either go, hmm, that's an interesting smell. Hopefully a good one. Or or they say, gosh, uh, that's the stench of death to me. You see, this destruction of AI, it kind of, um, it offends us, probably, But AI means ruin, and it's simply a foreshadowing of something that the Lord is going to do at the end of time. Apostle John said, I saw a great white throne, him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book would opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they'd done in the books. Sea gave up their dead. Death and Hades gave up their dead. Each person was judged according to what they'd done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is, is the second death. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. AI is just a pale reflection, isn't it, Uh, of what is yet to come. So you may be fearful that you're going to cause offence, but there is no way around that. Just stick to the script, set forth the truth plainly, and if people reject the message that you offer them, they reject Christ... And actually, they reject their only hope. So instead of being offended by it, I just want you to reflect on that for a minute and think, well, if my my work colleagues, if my friends, my relatives um, were inhabitants of AI, what would I want to do for them today or this week? So I just want you to reflect on that. Just reflect on the fact that the, the, the future for men and women without Christ is essentially the future of AI. And I just want you to take a moment and just reflect on that. Think through, what then do I want to do? We're not living in neutral territory. We're we're living in AI. And you can do something about it. In Ezekiel 33, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but rather that they turn from their ways and live. It's not God's pleasure. He doesn't enjoy it. But we need to think about enjoyment. When we think about enlarging the kingdom of God, so we stick to the script. We do what the Lord has has asked. We enjoy the kingdom by doing the same thing. So Joshua builds this um, altar on Mount Ebal. Ebal, why? He's he's gone about 20 miles north uh, of Ai. Let's have a look at the picture. Okay, so this is where they... Oh, ah. This is where they came into the Promised Land, crossed the Jordan there. There's Jericho. They've gone up here to attack Ai. And now that they've won that battle, they've headed all the way up here. And here is Mount Ebal, Shechem, uh, and Mount Gerizim. And there is where the Jordan piled up when they went across. So that's a bit clearer. There's where the, uh, the Jordan piled up. Here they went into Jericho, round and round. They've had two offences up against Ai. There's Ai and Bethel. And now they've headed up to, to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim with Shechem in the middle. If we go back over there, you can see it's kind, of, it's kind of in the middle of the land. So he's built an altar at Mount Ebal. Why? Because it's, it's the highest mountain in that part of the land. They can see everything. And I suppose at one level, they're making the proclamation. Uh, this is going to be our land, that God has given us this. But Shechem, that place in the middle, is where God originally um, received the promise that God was going to give him the land. So God is bringing them back and showing them that he's a God who keeps his promises big time, long term. It's also the place that Jacob returned to when he'd been in exile out of the land because he'd been um, uh, offended Esau. But primarily he comes to this place as early as is feasibly possible in the campaign because that is sticking to the script. That is what God asked him to do. That is what God said to Moses in Deuteronomy um, 27. Uh, and onwards. Mount Ebal, it's interesting, is a kind of barren and rocky place. So that's where they picked up the stones um, for the altar. Mount Gerizim is, is wooded and fruitful. And essentially, they're given a choice. Do you want to live in the barren, hard place? Or do you want to live in the, in the woody, fruitful place? Well, here is life by God's standards. Are you going to choose it? Or are you going to compromise with, with society around you. And so they, they sit there in the middle of it in this kind of natural amphitheater um, and they talk through the word of God and it's the word of God which tells them you can either have this or you can have this. And it's a vivid picture. And I'm going to move on just really quickly. Joshua, he, he, he has a burnt offering, you noticed. And then he had a fellowship offering. And then he puts the, um, the word of God on, on plaster. Copying it out, puts it up so that everybody can see it. And also just stands as a testimony to the people of the land. Gathers the people. He reads the law. They're all there. Men, women, children, uh, foreigners and Israelites. And Joshua reads all of the law. Note. Including the gory bits, presumably. And um, all the blessings and the curses. The offer of blessing and the threat of curse. So this gives us a little passage, a little, um, some direction for worship. And we've been picking this up through Leviticus and there are, uh, there are parallels here. Um, It's the same. Start by bringing a burnt offering. Start by dealing 
uh, with what gets them right with God. They need an offering. Remember, they place their hand on the offering and then it dies in their place. So when you, can, when you come to worship, the first thing you need is something to die in your place. And of course, for us, that's Christ on, on the cross. But that's the starting place for your worship. And then have a fellowship offering. Uh, you get that spelled out a little bit more in that Deuteronomy passage. Uh, it was a celebratory meal. They all sat down together. Um, so when we come, we come in communion. We come to communion on specific occasions, but we come in communion. We come uh, as a body. We come as the gathered people of God. We don't come as a bunch of, uh, of, of individuals. Joshua makes the word of God accessible so they can find their way to it. Do you know what? We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to accessing the word of God. It's no excuse really for uh, engaging with the word of God. You know, you can have David Suchet read it to you in the comfort of your own home if if you want to. I mean, how much easier do you want it? Okay, you can get it... um, posted to your phone, you know, day by day. There's just no excuse um, for not engaging with the word of God. We have an embarrassment of, of riches. I mean, how much more do you want? And I know it's not easy. And I know I've wrestled with, with you know, daily times all, all of my life. But the point is I've wrestled with it. So keep on wrestling with it wherever you're at. They gather around this central act of, of kind of hearing God's word. It's all of the people, and it's all of the Bible that they have up till that point. I don't know how long it would take us to get through all of the scriptures. Um, they didn't have quite as much as we did. But there is a principle there about getting through all of the scriptures, all the counsel uh, of the word of God, and that's something we try to do. And there is, in this preaching though it's not really preaching it's just reading of the word of God but there is necessarily a a rehearsing of the blessing and the curses there is a making that there is a clarifying that there is a choice here there is a pressing on the people that there is something that you have to do um, in in response to the word of God it's not just sitting here um, like listening to the tranny okay there's an interesting verse in Ezekiel where he says people listen to you like this listen to a singer of sad songs um you know, in other words, listen, they listen to preaching like the turning on the radio and just turn it off. Well, we're not here for that. We're here to be transformed. Uh, we're here to see that there are choices in front of us and to, and to choose one and reject the other. And so our gathered worship should kind of reinforce our, our, our weekday choices. Should reinforce us for the week and, and, and guide us um, and, and direct us. And no one who is in Christ is is ultimately condemned because uh, there is now no condemnation, Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you can choose today whether you're going to live under God's fatherly blessing or God's fatherly fatherly discipline. And one is definitely more fun and more exciting um, than, than the other. So that's the end of part one. Joshua. He they've entered the kingdom. Um and they've heard the call. You've entered the kingdom. You've heard the call. Enlarge it. Go to battle. <clears throat> okay? Stick to the script, but go to war. Okay? Tell people. 
but also don't compromise as you tell people. So enjoy the kingdom instead by emulating the Lord. Stick to the script. Get to the word. doesn't really matter how or where or which bit, but get to it somehow, somewhere. And I just want to ask you then, as they were presented with a choice, and they're going to be presented with a choice, all the book are you, are you making the choice for Mount Gerizim, are you making the choice for Mount Ebal? Are you going to walk in the place of God's blessing, are you going to walk in the place of God's discipline? So we're going to take a quiet moment, musicians kind of come back up. And just think about choices for a moment, just... Um, Suppose ask yourself the question, am I sticking to the script? Ask yourself the question, am I getting to the script? Am I getting it, uh, the scripture? If not, are there choices I'm going to make this week? Is there a choice I make that's actually bringing me curse? Is it actually bringing me um, God's opposition? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a New Testament verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble over the places that I'm being proud, self-sufficient. Or am I coming in humility before the Lord? Let's be quiet for a moment.